0: U.S. Nutrition Panel's ties to top food giants revealed in new report. Transparency group U.S. Right to Know finds members linked to Nestle, Coca-Cola, and others raising conflict of interest questions. Almost half of a federal government panel that helps develop U.S. nutritional guidelines has significant ties to big agriculture, ultra-processed food companies, pharmaceutical companies, and other corporate organizations with a significant stake in the process's outcome. The revelation is part of a new report from U.S. Right to Know, a government transparency group that looked for ties to corporate interests among the 20-member panel of food and nutrition experts that makes recommendations for updating the U.S. government officials' dietary guidelines. It found nine members had ties to Nestle, Pfizer, Coca Cola, the National Egg Board, and other prominent food lobby groups, among others. The findings raise questions about whether the panel is looking out for Americans' health or corporate profits and erodes confidence in dietary guidelines, said Gary Ruskin of U.S. Right to Know. Millions of Americans' lives are affected by this report. And it's crucial that the report tell the truth to American people, and it's not degraded into another sales pitch for big food and big pharma, he said. The panel, called the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee, makes the recommendations to the Department of Agriculture, USDA, and the Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, The guidelines are considered the gold standard for dietary advice in the U.S. and around the world, and influence which foods are served in institutional settings such as schools, hospitals, and military facilities. They inform how healthcare professionals and nutritionists treat people, and influence how federal food aid is distributed, nutrition labeling, and how food products are formulated. The guidelines affect the entire U.S. food system quite strongly, Raskin said. The agriculture and health departments did not immediately respond to requests for comment. U.S. Right to Know scoured public records dating back five years for conflict of interest among the 20 panel members. In addition to the nine, it found with high-risk conflicts of interest and connections to the food and drug industry. It found four more members who have possible conflicts of interest. It applauded the agencies for appointing seven members who did not appear to have any conflicts. At least four panelists have connections to at least two companies each among Abbott, Novo Nordisk, the National Dairy Council, Eli Lilly, and Weight Watchers International. One panel member has received about 240000 in grant funding from Eli Lilly. Industry attempts to place allies on advisory panels, such as the Dietary Committee, are not new. US Right to Know has co-authored 15 peer-reviewed studies revealing how the food and pharmaceutical industries attempt to shape public opinion, scientific research, and government policy. Earlier this year, it detailed how industry-linked groups appear to have influenced the World Health Organization's decision to downplay cancer risks posed by aspartame. The last thing that a food or a pharmaceutical company wants to have is a federal agency that says, don't buy this stuff, don't buy those products, Raskin said. That could potentially be a mortal threat to companies' profit stream. So they are extremely attuned and sensitive to that possibility and lobby in lots of ways to make sure that never happens. The revelation comes amid US public health crises related to diabetes, obesity, and other problems that are in part caused by the kind of ultra processed products and unhealthy foods produced by some of the companies that have relationships with panel members. The report notes how the USDA and HHS earlier this year, for the first time, issued disclosures of conflicts of interest among its panel members for the 2025 dietary guidelines. The disclosures were a response to pressure from public health advocates and the Republican Senator Chuck Grassley, who Ruskin said sent a letter to the agencies urging them to be transparent about panel members potential conflicts of interest. But the disclosures only covered the last year, were aggregated and did not identify each individual member's conflicts, and Ruskin characterized the disclosures as an affront to the public. The new report aims to fill in the gaps left by the government's vague disclosures. The Agriculture and Health Departments can overrule the panel's recommendations and has done so in the past. And Congress has also gotten involved. U.S. Right to Know made a range of recommendations, among them a requirement for stronger disclosures, notification of appointees prior to the appointment, and an expansion of the Physicians Payments Sunshine Act, which requires doctors to report money received from drug companies to cover the nutrition field. The easiest step, however, would be for the agencies not to appoint people with high-risk conflicts of interest. This is an avoidable problem, Reskin said. It would be far better for public health if they picked experts with no conflict of interest. They can do that, but they don't. Central Park warned a festival would ruin its lawn. New York went ahead with it. The Great Lawn will be closed for months after 30,000 people gathered for a global citizen concert. Park stewards tell The Guardian their concerns went unheeded. Last month, the Fugees reunited on the Great Lawn in Central Park, with Lauren Hill, Wycliffe Jean and Praz thrilling a select group of drenched fans. It was the culmination of a free concert that also featured megastars like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and BTS's Young Cook. But organisers hadn't booked the most prominent guest on the schedule, Tropical Storm Ophelia. The storm threatened some of the worst rains New York had seen since weather records began, but Global Citizen, the nonprofit hosting the event, announced that the festival would go on. As roughly thirty thousand guests crowded onto the park grass in the downpour, what was supposed to be a celebration of the environment quickly turned into a disaster for one of the world's most famous public lands. The twelve acre great lawn, whose Main oval includes six football fields is arguably New York City's best known green space, treasured by picnickers, ballplayers and tourists from around the globe. But the mix of rainwater, people and heavy equipment has uprooted much of its carefully maintained grass, leaving a wasteland of thick sludge. The Central Park Conservancy, the non-profit that manages the park, announced this week that the event had fully destroyed about a third of the Great Lawn. That means the entire area would be closed for at least the next six months for repairs. While the lawn normally closes in the winter, the damage will shut it down nearly two months early during some of the city's most beautiful fall weather. Yet, it was an avoidable fiasco. The Conservancy revealed exclusively to The Guardian on Wednesday that before the concert, it warned decision-makers, including festival organisers and the mayor's office, that holding the concert in the storm would wreak havoc on the Great Lawn. Global Citizen, which gives fans free tickets for downloading its app, and doing things like sending tweets about the climate crisis, and city officials, led by Mayor Eric Adams, decided to go forward anyway. Simon Moss, Global Citizens co-founder says, organisers followed all established protocols in proceeding with the event. We're really pleased that we had a safe, secure event for tens of thousands of New Yorkers, that we had hundreds of millions of dollars worth of new commitments on food and hunger and gender equality, Moss said. This year, as we have every year over the last 11 years, we guarantee that we'll pay for any damage that's done to the parks as a direct result of the event. Megan Lalor, a spokesperson for the city's parks department, also defended the event. While we share New Yorker's frustration, we have had a positive relationship with the Global Citizen Festival producers and are confident any damages will be remedied expeditiously, she said. But in a city where even millionaires live in tiny apartments, New Yorkers say money doesn't make up for the extended loss of such as cherished public space. I'm outraged. The city council member Gail Brewer told The Guardian the festival says they're going to pay for it, but the most important part is that people can use the park this shouldn't This should have been cancelled. So why did the city decide to risk one of its most important parklands for a one-day event in the rain? More than a week after the concert, much of the Great Lawn remains a swampy meadow, still bearing oozy footprints and tire tracks from the heavy machinery used to disassemble the stage. Mina, an 18-year-old who went into the festival, recalls how her feet sank into thick mud as soon as she got back past the bag check in the early afternoon. You had to put in some effort to not slip or get a shoe stuck, she said. She noticed the softball fields had flooded with at least an inch of water and people were standing on fences to try to avoid it. Experts say the outcome was completely predictable. A former city official involved with producing large events who spoke to The Guardian on a condition of anonymity called it astonishing that the Global Citizen Festival wasn't called off. Anybody who's ever managed turf knows you don't put a big crowd on a completely soaked lawn. The former former official said so you have to wonder who thought it was okay to proceed with this. Global Citizens Moss said the decision was made by Adams' office and the city's parks department in consultation with the city's emergency personnel and the Central Park Conservancy at Global Citizens' operations tent just before the show. As you can imagine, we were very actively tracking the weather, any lightning, any wind, any safety risks, Moss said, and they gave the affirmative for the event to proceed repeatedly throughout the day. But the Conservancy didn't have the authority to call off the event. Instead, it tried to warn the others that going ahead would ruin the grass. Conservancy staff shared with the on-site pre-event teams what the impact of the increased moisture and compacted soil would have on the landscape, a spokesperson for the non-profit told The Guardian. We made clear that it would result in damage to the Great Lawn. The Parks Department declined to explain why it signed off on the event in spite of the Conservancy's warning, but council member Brewer and the former city official felt it was unlikely that the parks commissioner, Sue Donohu, a veteran parks advocate, would have felt comfortable with the plan. It's hard to imagine the parks department, with all of its experience, thinking this was an okay idea, said the former city official. The mayor's office didn't respond to multiple requests for comment, but Global Citizen confirmed that it paid a nearly two million fee for the use of the park to New York City General Fund. According to a contract, the city would have had to refund the money if the concert were cancelled. Now comes the task of repairing the grounds, and the work will be extensive. Moss said Global Citizen had already put up a 100,000 bond for repairs, but expected to pay more than more once the Parks Department completed a damage assessment this month. Brewer's Office believes repairs could run as high as one million, citing discussions with the Central Park Conservancy. If the Conservancy wants to reopen the lawn by next April, its turf team must lay down new sod quickly before it gets too cold for grass to grow. The roots have to be coaxed into re with the soil underneath and that can take a full season, if not longer. The Great Lawn required a complete resorting in 1995 after it was badly damaged by crowds, 100,000 people who turned out for a screening of Disney's Pocahontas and 120,000 people who attended a mass led by Pope John Paul II. The subsequent overhaul of the lawn cost eighteen million and kept visitors off the grass until nineteen ninety seven. Brewer says there's a simple solution for a large scale event like the Global Citizen Festival. On Monday she said she sent a letter to the mayor urging that the event be relocated next year in a venue other than Central Park, such as an arena or stadium. Brewer said Adams hadn't contacted her after the letter, but at a press conference on Tuesday, he suggested that Global Citizen would be welcomed back to Central Park.